listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another new episode of ESL Talk. Great to be back for another episode. So last week, we covered how to help international students to thrive with our guest, Rafa. And it was really well received as always. Thank you so much for your comments and feedback on that episode. This week, we're talking about how to create a positive classroom environment, techniques, strategies, things that we can practically use to help us build that positive classroom environment and make sure that our students are supported, nurtured, and can succeed. Our guest, Adam, joins us. He's a very experienced educator, uh, coordinator, and um, education manager. He's had lots of experience working in schools, um, delivering programs, including his own uh, Grapeseed. So we're going to hear about his methods for building a positive classroom environment. And we can also learn how you might be able to do this either as a traditional classroom face-to-face -face teacher or as an online teacher. So before we go ahead and listen to Adam in today's interview, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy what you hear. And if you are feeling like you might want to help us out a little bit more, you can drop us a five-star review on Apple iTunes or on Spotify. It does really help us to promote and to build the podcast as well. As always, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, you can simply visit our website, esl-talk.com. You can hit the button, be a guest, and there you can just fill in a couple of details and apply to be on a future episode, which is amazing. Uh, currently, we have a lot of people um, waiting to be interviewed, so we will get to you as soon as we can, and hopefully we'll be able to hear about you and what you love and your passion uh, when it comes to teaching English. Just one more thing to cover before we get started, and that is our sponsor, which is esl-curriculum.com. There's now over 600, yes, it has been updated, over 600 interactive ESL lessons that cover all levels, all abilities, and every different type of English teaching you can imagine for kids, for speaking, for writing, for business English, for IELTS. They have you covered, esl-curriculum.com to get started with your free two-week trial. All right, so let's get into today's interview with our special guest, Adam Mott. He's going to share all about how he creates a positive and enjoyable classroom atmosphere. A lot of really interesting tips and insights we're going to get in this interview. It runs for about 45 minutes, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, maybe get a pen and paper to take down some notes. And of course, if you have any questions afterwards, feel free to let me or Adam know. We'll be happy to answer them for you. All right, here we go with today's interview. Right. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, it's great to, to hear from you today. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this concept of creating an ideal classroom atmosphere, um, specifically to nurture growth. Um, that's what we're going to be focusing on in today's interview. So um, as we do with all our guests, Adam, could you share a little bit about your teaching journey with us so far and kind of what you're doing currently at the moment? 
Yeah, very quickly here, I just wanted to say that our, our topic that we're going to talk about today might overlap a little bit with the podcast that you did with Faye back in early yes. February on teaching speaking skills. Uh, but I think it's definitely a topic worth exploring more. So that's kind of why when we were discussing topics for today that we kind of went with this one. Um, also, just quick, quick plug here. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about her diagnosis, and I hope she recovers soon. Thank you. That's really, really kind. And I know she's really uh grateful for all the support. So I will pass that message on and I know she's listening. So I'm sure she'll be really happy to hear that as well, Adam. Thank you. But going back to our question here about just my own journey, I think my own journey kind of mimics what a lot of English teachers that teach overseas have had. Like I, I was in college and I was about to graduate. I was personally, I was finishing up my own master's degree in biology. And I was looking ahead to the future and seeing like, okay, I've got PhD program, postdoc, all kinds of stuff waiting in the wings here. So why don't before I do that, I'll just take I'll push pause on my life for a couple of years and go to Japan and have a fun time teaching. And then I'll just come back to that other life. Um, but when I came here, I really enjoyed just everything about living in Japan. It was really, it really appealed to me. I realized I wanted to stay pretty early on. So my initial one year or two year plan became three years, became four years, became five years. Um, and that was the, the maximum amount of time the program I was on was allowing visas to continue. But even though I really enjoyed staying and living in Japan, I wasn't really fulfilled that much professionally. I think a lot of other um, Englishes, English teachers that, that come overseas have the same experience where they're, they're teaching from a textbook. Personally, I was teaching in uh, public junior high schools as an assistant language teacher. So mm -hmm. it was, okay, read this grammar point or read this passage and the students might repeat after you, they might not, whatever. Uh, it was a lot of not really inspired teachers, not really inspired students, and just all all around not a really effective time professionally for me so there's some frustration there but i knew i wanted to stay in japan so mm -hmm. um i as you know with your your korean experience living in a very test heavy culture you have to basically get certifications and things that prove that you're skilled. So I, I worked on the Japanese qualification, got hooked up with it, the company that I'm currently with now. And I was initially hired to be sales and to teach me basically about what I was going to be selling. They hooked me up with the initial three day uh, new teacher training that all normal teachers do for the program at the mm -hmm. time. And not only that, after that, they sent me to do team teaching at a kindergarten that was using this program for three months. So I had my butterflies in my stomach the first day walking into the kindergarten classroom um, after teaching junior high for five years. And walking in the first day and little kids running up and saying, Oh, what is your name? My name is blah, blah, blah. And do you like red? I like green. And, and just speaking in full sentences wow. without any, without any hesitation, they, they wanted to communicate. They wanted to talk. I, I was like, wow, this is really, this is really something here. This is not something that I was used to at all in that in my last five years. So it's like, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe th this is something worth checking out. So over time, um, I initially was in that sales role and then moved over to being a teacher trainer. So mm -hmm. doing those initial teacher trainings, as well as visiting the different schools that use our program around Japan, watching classes, giving advice. From there, I moved to the global training team, making the trainings for those different training teams to use, as well as our own company podcast that I'm uh, I'm currently hosting as well, and then now I'm on the global global sales team. So it's been a it's been quite the ride. It wasn't really what I, I envisioned from the very beginning, but um, everything's kind of worked out. So I'm pretty happy about it. That's really cool. It's a really um, again another really unique journey, and this is what we find with people that we speak to, and you know all our guests, and even fellow teachers we talk to. Pretty much all of them never set out to have the journey that they had, <laughs> and it just it's just how these things develop, which is which is really cool. Um, so. In terms of then the challenges, um, what are some of the challenges that these students face um, in traditional classroom environments? Um, what are some of the things you noticed over your over your years um, in Japan? 
specifically I, and then maybe more generally as well i think really teachers are a big what i think sometimes mm -hmm. it's a teacher who is really only in it for a paycheck or a visa and doesn't really dedicate themselves to really learning and improving their craft i mean we for a lot of people that are over here that that tends to be the case i'm sure it's the same um i've done some of the same coaching kind of things it um in korea and thailand and things like that mm -hmm. so I've, I've gotten to see uh quite a bit of that as well sometimes a teacher has potential but they simply lack the experience and don't have any supports in place to show them the way to success they might find it eventually but it generally takes a long time if they're going to go at it alone so that's kind of a big one that stands in the way of esl students having success another one is schools and parent commitment Schools may advertise almost like a, a get rich quick program, but for learning English and parents may be too busy to do their research and just kind of send their kids to any English program thinking they're all the same. Mm -hmm. um, and curricular programs that are just uninteresting and don't give students the tools needed to achieve their goals, like both in the long term and in the short term, of course. For our program specifically, they're, they're very young kids that we start out with, so they don't necessarily have I have this language goal that I'm trying to achieve by learning English. Mm -hmm. But if if you're if you're trying to teach students like really verbose lists of words and things like that that aren't really interesting or appealing to them, then they're going to really have a, a hard time doing it. So trying to keep things relevant in the short term to help them express and think in English the way that they about things that they're interested in, but then also building towards long-term goals of, okay, this is English that you can then use and apply when you're learning proper grammar rules later or things like that. But I think mm -hmm. overall, my message here is the underlying thing is that the students themselves are always inquisitive and curious. And if there aren't any other external barriers, then they can really enjoy their, their ESL classes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I think it's important as well to notice that the teacher themselves, like they have a lot of power and a lot of sway in creating that atmosphere. So much. Um, yeah. And, and that's something that maybe people don't necessarily think about um, when they're looking at it um, kind of from a, a holistic um, viewpoint. So how would a teacher create that positive atmosphere? And what are some strategies that they could use to create that inclusive um, environment? Oh, great. So this is this is really the crux of our conversation. Yes. I'm really excited to, to get into it. Um, this is really everything to both me and, and the, the program Grapeseed that I'm with right now. Um, without a proper atmosphere, you generally lack proper student engagement, which I personally like to think of as educational uptime. So how good the connection is between your teaching and their learning. So whether you're following a curriculum <clears throat> sorry, or creating your own lessons and materials, we tend to focus so much on what on, sorry, we tend to focus so much on what we are teaching that day that we don't give proper attention to the environment we create in the classroom. So you can have the most ingenious way to teach a particular grammar point, for example, but without students' attention and caring, it's more likely not going to get through. So our specific program is based on natural language acquisition principles, trying to recreate the way we learned our mother tongue in classrooms. So this inclusive, relaxed classroom is what we're all about. One big concept we focus on with our teachers is that of the affective filter. This is probably something that you've probably heard before, Daniel, but I'll just explain for um, the listeners. You can think of it as a series of barriers between your comprehensible input you're giving to students and what they actually receive and process. So the big factors that we focus on that make up this affective filter are student confidence, motivation, and anxiety. Clearly, we aim to have high confidence and motivated students with low anxiety. This lowers that affective filter, allowing more of your teaching to get through to the students. This is truly inclusive as it allows students to simply listen and be a part of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Then when they want to speak and contribute, we give them ample opportunities and encouragement to do so. It's a great approach. And Again, it sounds so simple when you lay it out like that, but again, when when you teach us, or maybe we don't have that experience, something like this might seem a little bit, um, you know, 
strange or might take some getting used to. But yeah, that's the great, that's the best approach to create those situations that are authentic, where you know students can have as many opportunities as possible to speak and to contribute. I think that's really key, and I think that's that's a really overlooked um, aspect of creating a really strong um, environment. So that's kind of a starting point of a strategy, and then if we want to. You know, incorporate technology, which is huge, especially nowadays more than ever. How can we incorporate technology to complement in building that uh, that atmosphere and that that positive environment? This is one that I, I really want to hear your opinion on uh, at sure. the end. But um, yeah. initially, for us, our program specifically starts with kids who are four years old. So mm-hmm. with such little ones, we generally rely on the teacher to carry the student engagement in the classroom. Right. Um, but we do recommend having a tablet around for easy checking of the daily lesson plans. Mm-hmm. But for us, the technology aspect comes in more when students go home and experience the audio and video content on their apps. Or recently, we've released a new thing that's a basically students can have practice conversations with an AI version of our main character of the program. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. Uh, still mm-hmm. working some kinks out here and there, but it's a, it's a fun little thing. Um, but in other settings, especially with older students, I can see value in incorporating technological aspects in the classroom. One thing that we just have to always be careful of, right, is most of the time, things aren't set up properly beforehand and the teacher ends up losing valuable time on a video or activity that was supposed to last three to five minutes, but took 10 because the connection issues or having things to turn on, et cetera. Um, But with COVID right recently, we've a lot of places and programs have had to shift to an online teaching setting. So obviously these lessons are almost all about technological know-how. Um, we initially put out a stopgap to try to help teachers who were thrust into that transition, but then also recently we've rolled out a more permanent solution, basically a, a Zoom that is built for specifically teaching our program. Um, so it's in, in, integrated with our resources to help teachers and schools sticking with that online formula, even as we try to move into a post-corona world. Hopefully we, I, I might I might be saying that too soon, moving into a post-corona world, but I'm, I'm hoping we're getting there. No, I, I hope so too. And um, I think, like you said, for the younger age, um, the things that I tried uh, with younger students was kind of the gamification element of um, of using technology. So things like there was um, a tool that I remember using. I don't know if it's if it's used that commonly now. It was called Class Dojo. Are you familiar with this? Oh, app? I've I've heard of this from other teachers. But yeah, yeah. Please, please so, tell me more. Yeah, again. just refresh just to, my memory. Uh, yeah, sure. Essentially, um, students would would create like a little avatar, like a little character, um, and they would have that character. Like you know, on screen or in the background when the class is going on, and they would get points, or they would get um, you know, like badges, or you know, um, I don't know how to say, would they get achievements or those kinds of things? So you could assign those to students as they were in the class, kind of like a video game, and then those characters could then you know battle against each other or go into different groups or different actions and things would happen. So it was a really fun way um, to keep students motivated and engaged that way. Um, So that was something that worked well for the younger learners. Um, And then again, like you said, videos, um, proprietary tech, like different things. We always have to make sure that when we're planning those lessons that we have have them prepared and take out any potential problems. Okay, I'm using the internet. Could I download or record the video um, so I don't have to wait on a connection, especially if you're in a rural setting, which happens yeah. to a lot of teachers. Um, you know, if I'm doing a game, okay, what if the slides crash or they don't work properly? How am I going to do this in a, in a low-tech version? So there is a little bit more prep required, but I, I definitely agree that to try to make it as 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 um, how can I say, basically no surprises, know exactly how you're gonna do it, have an A option and a B option just in case, and then that way you can hopefully be successful because if you lose that one or two minutes time with the young young students, you've pretty much lost them, right, for the whole lesson. So it's really important to keep them engaged and keep and them busy. And if it's an out of the classroom online setting, right, then yes. if you lose them for even one minute, getting them back is just so much more difficult because you exactly. can't just say like, you can't just pat them on the head and say, hey, like, nope. come back to me, come back to me. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. So um, I guess, you know, with your experience in Japan, there's some some very particular cultural considerations that we should try to keep in mind. So 
Um, maybe we can talk specifically about your market and then a little bit more with other markets that you've worked in that you mentioned. So what are the, some of those cultural considerations we should keep in mind when we're teaching um, ESL students? So th this kind of goes back to an, an earlier answer that I had, but when it hmm. when it's the kids themselves, there's usually not not as many issues as when we have the adult side of things, right? But right. with our specific program, since we're starting with four-year-olds, is that there really isn't any cultural issues that we have to deal with, at least at the beginning at all. I've heard so many times, oh, those kids are Japanese. They, they, they're just more right. well-behaved than other kids, which is absolutely not the case. Kids are kids. Are kids and I it's feel that kids, at right. any age, they don't quite have the imprinting of culture in all of its nuances yet, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as they get older, that can potentially be a factor. But if their English time has been consistently one thing in terms of atmosphere and style, then it becomes less of an issue even as they get a bit older. Yeah. But um, just like most teachers would agree, the bigger issue comes from the adults, usually in the form of parents or other school staff. So this is where that cultural awareness in your question is really important. Um, I think one big example at least in, in my experience, both within the company and in the classroom, is that um, in the West, sometimes we don't plan things out exhaustively. We'll mm -hmm. just kind of look at a change that we want to make and predict it in general, like, oh, this will, this will probably happen and this bad thing might happen. But after a little bit of brainstorming, we'll probably just say, okay, let's give it a shot. And then whatever comes, comes and we'll deal with it. Right. Whereas here in Japan specifically, that planning stage is so much more important. It feels sometimes like every eventuality must be predicted and considered before any action is taken. But the good thing of that is whenever the decision is finally reached, things move faster since they're not dealing with as many issues that come up during the process because of the planning that they've done. Mm -hmm. So in the classroom specifically, this kind of comes to any changes you want to make to lesson time, length, uh, time of day, style or whatever. If you're trying to, if you're a teacher at a school and you're like, okay, I want to change this up a little bit. I want to convince my manager. It's not just something that you're going to be able to go in and in five minutes, get a good answer or get the answer that you want. And okay, we'll change it just for you. And everything will kind of move the way that you want it to move in a very quick manner. Things usually mm -hmm. take a very, 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 I got to put like six more varies in there, but very long time to get decided and implemented. But when it does, it goes. Okay. Uh, what, what about your experience in Korea? Um, I would say in my public school setting. So I'm imagining, um, Adam, that you previously worked in the JET program. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Good guess. Yeah. So I mean, it's the safest guess. But yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, essentially Epic and, and JET, I guess, are kind of very similar in their nature, um, which is just a public school program where most native teachers go to, to teach. Um, but essentially, I guess it kind of depends on the school. But in my experience, it was very much kind of, you're here to do this job. You feel free to do whatever you want to do. We are using this textbook, but you can manipulate it in any way you want. You're going to cover the speaking section. Um, and there was a lot of trial and error. There were lessons where I was like, oh my God, that bomb, that was terrible. There was some where I thought, okay, that's a really original, this could be an original approach and it worked well. Um, so, you know, when we're thinking about creating that positive atmosphere, the things that I tried to incorporate were learning the students needs or what motivates them what they enjoy what they like it was middle school so you know teenagers a little bit problematic potentially but i tried to figure out okay again i didn't want to generalize but i thought okay most of the boys probably enjoy these three topics most of the girls probably enjoy these three topics from my conversations and interactions with them so i'll try to incorporate them in some ways to keep them motivated to keep them engaged maybe phrase some of the target language around these topics um, and the, the production around those topics and creating those topics. So that was, that was kind of how I dealt with that. Um, and then in terms of the cultural considerations, again, like you said, you know, teenagers are teenagers, kids are kids, baby, you know, young, young children are young children um, inherently. Um, there were just a couple of, of, you know, nuances with, with certain things that we had to kind of to factor in, but, like you said, it was pretty subtle. Um, it's more a case of the teen, uh, the, the kind of the older adult and older teenage um, learners. That's when you have to kind of think about those cultural things, about what they need and their connection with English, maybe the the importance that, or the value that they place on it. But ultimately, yeah, I, I would say. 
those were the, the main things that I had to to think about um, with that. And then plus, there was also plus the time in their life. Plus their time in their lives. Exactly. Right? Like if you're exactly. getting into the teenage years, I mean, we have an, a, a specific story that that we have. A vo- the vocabulary word is "kiss for it." Um, it that comes up in basically elementary first year so that they're still in like the girls have cooties oh gross kind of kind of area um but it's i would definitely imagine it it, that would be a lot more difficult to teach if you were teaching uh junior high and trying to bring that vocabulary (laughs) i think the difficulty is again you have kind of you know younger students are more sponge-like in terms of they'll Mm. just go with anything they'll give it a try they'll they'll try to you know um you know engage with what you're giving them but if it's older learners maybe there is less of a, a need or an importance or a value that they place on it um intrinsically so mm-hmm. that kind of goes into them maybe just using their first language or with the younger students who don't have as much exposure using their first language as well so i actually debated this um on some recent episodes as well about using native language or using Ooh. first language in the classroom so what's your view on this should teachers ever do this and would this actually help with the with the atmosphere on the environment or not as I, as I was jotting notes for this one, I, I did I did start with that this is a divisive issue. So I'm, mm. I'm glad I'm glad that um, you you kind of feel the same way that it that it wasn't necessarily just something that that's so black and white. Um, no. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. But I, I can see the value in using native language when you're teaching adults or really, really little children, like three and under. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of us, it can be a crutch that we use either with the goal of getting a concept across more quickly, just that we think that it's going to do that. Or even sometimes with a more serious ulterior motive of giving us opportunities to practice our own foreign language skills. Um, In the end, though, I think our, our lesson time is really limited and precious. And with the massive amount of time and exposure necessary to learn a language, I don't think we want to deprive students of that extra listening practice or opportunities to speak by dipping into native language too much. Again, it might be something much more useful for older learners as they understand already, like what a verb is, for example, or there's just a particular word they want to say that is holding them back from continuing on smoothly with the rest of what they're expressing. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, it's it's something that we don't really need and trying even as i mentioned before just with the if we think that using native languages is going to get a point across really quickly that deprives that student of you trying to explain something using other english words and them trying to think about it in english and figure out right. what that message is yeah um yeah when how you do have, you feel about this i, yeah, I, I gonna say, yeah I, haven't, I haven't heard the the debates on your podcast yet i, I okay. gotta catch up on a couple more well, some of the yeah some not, none of these episodes are actually out yet so just being recently recording some there of them which, which covered these these topics um 
again, I think, like you said, there is a time and a place for it, depending on the needs of the students and maybe the ability. Um, you know, if you're in a setting like a public school setting where you have a really wide range of abilities or maybe in a, you know, in a group setting where you have higher level, lower level, and it's not necessarily um, differentiated like that, then there may be a time and a place and a need for that. Um, it just depends again on the skill of the teacher in how they do that. Um, you might do it in a subtle way, you might do it in a direct way, or you might even use the first language to help you with English or vice versa to do kind of a reverse engineering. So one thing I used to do that worked really well with, um, I had a kind of a higher level of, um, of like, middle schoolers like 15 16 years old um and they were mostly girls and they were really into you know music and you know those kinds of those kinds of topics so we said okay you know they're usually talking about the latest band or group or song so i thought okay why don't we reverse this here's the lyrics to a song in in english why don't we put them into korean and figure out mm. what's the message what's the tone what are they actually trying to say or what's the the real meaning of the song Likewise, we flip it. Okay, here's a song with all the Korean lyrics. How does this look in English? So we could we could use it in that way. Um, so there's other ways, and and that that got a, a really good buy-in because you know they're like, oh, I can use my first language. I'm just kind of translating, but I'm not just translating. I'm also I'm also giving them a list of questions. Okay, so in this context, so okay, bringing in context, what does this word mean? Um, you know, looking at um, homophones or similar sounds or synonyms okay so we're building vocabulary so there's different ways to achieve it um just mm. depending on your group and that's a really powerful way that um that i used um, first language to build you know good atmosphere and good a good rapport um in the class um and i guess it can also be used to differ differentiate instruction as well um, when you have diverse needs like we said so maybe you know your program for grapeseed how do you differentiate at that level is there much differentiation or or not um Hold on a second. Yeah, sure. Pull up my notes. Okay, so we, we're, we're skipping the 10 here is basically the idea? Yep. Okay. Um, perfect. Yeah. Uh, variety in instruction is really crucial for maintaining engagement, especially with younger learners. So you could theoretically have a stack of books, right, and, and read them all to your students over the course of like a 40-minute lesson. And you technically taught English, but by the second or third book, you'll probably have some students sleeping and other students hitting each other, right? Um, before our program provided daily lesson plans, this was something we would talk to teachers about. So if you're going to do something that requires a lot of focus, like reading a poem on the whiteboard together as a class, you'll probably want to follow that up with something more fun, like singing a song or moving around a bit. But now that we've provided daily lesson plans, that stuff's all baked in and teachers don't need to use their planning time to work that stuff out. But of course, varying the, the type of activities is important, but with younger learners, they just need to move sometimes, even kind of without a direct purpose or... or yes. Yeah, right? They're, they get fidgety. Um, yes. So you could have a rule in your class that everyone has to sit nicely, but if you expect them to sit in their chairs properly for the entirety of the class, like a 40-minute lesson, let's say, when they do start to squirm, that's more on you than it is on them. Absolutely. Um, our general rule of thumb was age plus two for the number of minutes kids could sit before you should move them. So for four-year-olds, that'd be I like that. you, had, you had a maximum six minutes before they should stand up and turn around or walk like an elephant around the classroom yeah. um, before they can refocus. So older kids, right? So if you're teaching like a class of 12-year-olds, then you've got about 14 minutes before at least like some kind of movement incorporation is is necessary mm -hmm. just to just to save yourself time as teacher too because if yep. you're like we, we talked about engagement before right if if you lose a student you tend to lose even more time trying to regain that student's focus exactly so exactly if if you can kind of that what, what's what's the saying uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure if you can move a kid for 10 seconds 15 seconds and not have to spend the 45 seconds trying to catch them back later then you're you're in much mm -hmm. better shape and you, you're taking the you're taking the burden off yourself a little bit as well instead of having all eyes on you listening for 15, 20 minutes, okay, why don't I set up an activity, you know, you work in groups or you move around the room or you have to do a scavenger hunt. There's, there's 
tons of different ways to do this. Or your technology um, thing that you brought up earlier, right? Exactly. Like if, if, if you have to turn on your projector or whatever, right? Yep. Um, okay, here, here's a perfect opportunity while I'm hitting this button. Okay, boys and girls, go do this. Um, exactly. Go talk to your friend about this or something like that to get them up and around. So then you mm -hmm. can set up for your next activity. Then yep. when they sit back down, they're more focused. So it all works out. Even in a in an online setting as well, you know, there's a lot of, of online tools where they can type things or write things or draw things so you can get them to be doing that whilst you're preparing the next activity. So there's lots of ways to do that. Um, when it comes to actually, though, assessing um, students, again, I know you've, this is something you've worked on um, with your with your organization, with Grapeseed. So how do you really assess and, and how accurately can you assess students at that age um, in terms Ooh. of their English level? How do you do this? Ooh, good, good question. And I think this is another kind of hot topic here. Um, not, not quite as, as hot as the, uh, the, the native language versus um, just pure English kind of conversation. Um, but since our program specifically, we're so concerned about the affective filter um, and keeping that high confidence, low anxiety, high motivation, we, we typically stay away from summative assess assessments. So mm -hmm. we find those raise stress levels and reduce motivation. Instead, we put a greater emphasis on formative assessments, specifically the teacher evaluating their students using the objectives in their daily lesson plans, cross-referenced with the overall objectives for different components and activities that they can find in their teacher manual. So mm -hmm. you can kind of think of this as the teacher manual gives them the North Star they're shooting for while the daily lesson plan is more of the Google Maps to get them there. I'm not sure if that's no, that makes metaphor. that makes perfect sense. Yes. OK, good. I, was, I wasn't sure if I was mixing metaphors a bit too much there. No, um, no. But with these tools, if students can't answer something on a given day, they might be expected to. The teacher can then think of ways to provide additional exposure or comprehension in the next lesson to help make sure students get where they're going to go. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it can be it's it's a it puts a lot more of a burden on the teacher but if we also as a program provide teachers with the stool the tools necessary to figure that out and map it out for themselves since they have the daily lesson plans they don't need to spend their prep time planning their lesson they can then look through the lesson plan and start predicting these things okay i'm going to be mm -hmm. asking this question today and i know that for this particular song this is the end goal that we're going for so when I'm asking this question, I want to kind of guide students to be able to output this kind of answer or something right. like that. Right. Um, that's kind of the the approach we take. Um, but what what are your thoughts? Is this another uh, some episodes soon to come that there might be? Some uh, we've we've talked about assessment quite a, in quite a few episodes as well previously. But in terms of assessment, again, you know, it really depends on the needs of the learner. So if it's a, if it's a one-to-one, -one, you know, adult that you're teaching, then their needs are going to be very different from a class of twelve-year-old mm, Japanese students or Korean students. So um, I know, like the cultures that we're, that we're kind of used to or that we started out, started out at, um, there's a very heavy emphasis on you know, rote memorization. Um, you know, study, 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 just for the sake of it, it seems sometimes. <laughs> um, again, I think I think the focus really should be, um, just as just from my research and my background, is that the focus really should be on how can I use this practically and can I demonstrate how I can use this in a real life environment? Because if it's no if it's if, if it's of no value to me in a real life context, in a real life setting, then what's the point? Is there even any value in it anyway? Mm -hmm. You know, of course, you know, I've I've met students who are fantastic at reading or writing or listening, yet trying to trying to have a conversation can be a real chore. So it's, you know, how you know, how 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 am I going to use this? When am I gonna gonna use this? And in what ways is it going to help me? So again, if you if you can also show students the value of that and how it's gonna help them and why, and they can see that value, then again, I think that's another way to improve motivation as well um, with that. But those are some of the ways that I think that would be best to to assess, like you said, um, kind of more formative assessment would be would be a more useful way to to kind of measure those um, those skills or those developments, I would say mm. for sure. Yeah. Okay, um, so just in terms of the, you know, the teachers um, helping families and communities, um, you know, this is something that is often forgotten because we think it's all about the classroom. Well, that's only one hour a week or maybe two hours a week. What about the other, you know, 
dozens of hours a week where they're learning or studying, or they could be learning or studying. How can teachers um, work with families and community to support the, this growth and give students opportunities to learn outside of the classroom? Okay, this is another point that I wanted to make kind of going behind the scenes here is that sure. when, when you send over these questions, when I got to this question, I was really excited about it because I was like, yes, this is another another really exciting topic that I, that I like to, to, to discuss please, here. Please share. We'd love to hear it. Um, so just the amount of time it takes, I think anybody who's listening, if, if you've also learned a foreign language, just the amount of time it takes to learn, it just, no matter what school or program you try to go to, it just never lines up well with the amount of lesson time. You just need so much more exposure, so much more practice, so much more study, whether it's self-study with teenagers and adults or more entertainment-like forms, students just need more time with English than what we can provide in the classroom. Even our program usually sets decently high standards. We, we ideally want five days a week, 40 minute lessons a day. But even then, that's not enough time to properly Absolutely. learn English. Um, but one, one trap that a lot of us fall into is that simply more exposure isn't always the best route. Um, mm -hmm. The trouble with throwing on a Disney movie in English is that while it's technically exposure to the language, it isn't really targeted. And the input students are getting might not be very comprehensible to them because it's not mm -hmm. the same stuff they're learning in their actual lesson. Right. Um, for example, I don't know if you're you're up on, on the somewhat latest Disney, but um, if you've seen Moana, have you seen Moana? I have, yeah. Not that okay. I've watched it intently, but uh, it's been in the background sometimes when I visited friends, finally. <laughs> Yeah, but for this particular movie, for example, kids will generally gravitate to the You're Welcome song because that's usually something they can identify and understand because they've mm -hmm. learned it in their English classroom. But even then, while they might be singing the You're Welcome line, the rest of the song is just gibberish because it's all English they don't really know and understand yet, um, yes. which is completely um, understandable. But at least for our program, we try to combat this with what we call REP, which is repeated exposure and practice. I mentioned this a little bit before, but students have access to an app. It used to be CDs and DVDs, but we're trying to get with the times a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but students have access to this app with playlists that house the same songs, stories, and other activities that they're doing in class already, but in an animated or video or audio format. Mm -hmm. um, also, we have that aforementioned talk time feature of an AI conversation with one of our characters. So this way, it isn't just general exposure to English. Students are getting targeted exposure and practice. So that when they come into their lesson the next day, they have just that more exposure. The teacher can get them talking and using that language even more than they were before. But even if you're not in Grapeseed, for example, I would say that the, the take home message here is that even if you're creating your own content or working with a program that doesn't have something like our, our, our REP, mm -hmm. uh, trying to sharpen whatever homework or outside of the classroom recommendations you have so that your students are getting relevant practice is really the key here. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great thing to, to kind of reemphasize because we sometimes just kind of, we don't really give homework the value that it needs or the, the attention it needs. We say, hey, like, watch this. Okay, well, why am I watching this? How's yeah. it going to help me? Well, okay, Adam, I'd like you to watch this video so that you can practice ABC so that you'll be able to do XYZ. Oh, makes perfect sense. That's great. And then I can measure or I can look out for, I can test you on these two or three things. Um, these maybe this, this vocabulary or these skills um, or these, mm -hmm. you know, these, um, these methods of, of doing something. So I think that's really important um, to think about as well. So you know, for you and your experience, because obviously you've, you've got quite a lot of experience in doing this, and it sounds like the program that you that you currently um, provide is very, um, very valuable for students. So what are some of the best practices for designing and implementing language immersion programs? What are, the, what are some of the best things where you felt like, okay, this is going to help the majority of students um, to learn English or enjoy English or get something out of English? What, what have you found works well? Um I think I actually want to start this question here with just talking about the buy-in from a school um, great, or great starting point because yes. that, that that's just kind of like, it's been a common theme in most of my answers is that yep. the kids will learn 
if you remove all the barriers that's, that's like in the way from them learning. Um, mm-hmm. So buy-in from the school as a whole is really important. I think for a lot of schools, you probably have this experience kind of looking at the landscape in Korea as well. Um, an English program at a lot of schools is usually an avenue to just generate more business in the form of attracting more students away from other competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, those type of places are typically quick to throw the immersion title around, but provide the bare minimum amount of resources to their English program in terms of like lesson time, teacher pay, teacher support, or even all of them together. Um, Is student success and future opportunity really at the core there? No. Uh, If it isn't, I would say that any attempt is pretty much doomed to fail from the start for implementing a proper solid English program. But if student success is at the core, then you've got some hope there. Uh, mm-hmm. Time is just so important. We, we just talked about it a little bit ago. The old model, especially here in the East of, hey, send your kids to our conversation school once a week and they'll speak English is just not functional. It's just no. not going to work. Um, unless speaking English equates to just being able to parrot a few set phrases my teacher had me repeat over and over and over again. Um, So for our program, I mentioned it before, we ask schools for 40 minute lessons, five days a week, but we can work with four or three days a week to accommodate school needs. But we really try to push them for five. If they can't get there initially, we try to kind of still nudge them over time to keep getting there. Um, But beyond that, investing in teachers is really important. If a school is only willing to pay the bare minimum standard, then the applicants they receive are probably going to match that in terms of their own quality beyond just salary. Is there planning or prep time? Even though we provide lesson plans, we ask schools to still set aside time for teachers to get comfortable with them and prepare their classrooms accordingly. Wow. This is very, I'm sorry to interrupt, Adam. No, please. Why why can schools and language schools and, you know, organizations, why can they not understand this concept <laughs> I, i'm still i'm still so so shocked because the amount of the amount of schools or job postings or listings that i see on a regular basis they pay the bare minimum and they can't fill the job and i'm thinking well there's a reason for that but anyway i'm or, so sorry they do or they do fill the job and but then that quality of applicant gone in, yeah exactly. and then the, the teacher's gone in two months or yes. the 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 parents are are complaining in like a week or two because my kid isn't Mm -hmm. learning anything what's going on um yeah it's 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 baffling really um and i think i think think a lot of places are starting to come around a little bit on this they're starting to realize that okay there are there are other there are other more successful programs that are taking our students so okay we have to at least look at this and address it a little bit Mm -hmm. but I still think, yeah, there's a lot of places around the world, especially as you get outside of kind of really big cities where there's kind of less competition where, mm-hmm. yeah, you have that issue of of just, okay, just hire some native speaker off the street and they're going to be a fine English teacher. Just We'll just throw them in the classroom and good luck. Right. Um, but yeah, getting, getting back to... Um, our, our discussion here. I think one last underrated factor is how incorporated the English program is with the rest of the school environment. So with this, I'm kind of more talking about kindergartens or public and private schools and not English conversation schools. Um, mm-hmm. If the English program is something that's way over there and nobody but the English teacher understands it, I think it's going to have a lot of a, a much more difficult time. Student uh, school management and other teachers knowing what is going on, whether they speak English or not, really does wonders for student buy-in. For example, classroom rules and expectations. If the rules are the same for both the English and the non-English classrooms, then students understand more quickly and they feel like the same behavior and expectations apply from their other classes to the English one. So they, they're a lot more tied in with the school and English just isn't something that's just like, I can go have crazy time over here for 40 minutes and then I have to come back and be a proper student. It's it's all one big contiguous thing. Yes, that's that's good looking looking at it as a whole, not just as one class once a week. That's nothing to do with anything else. Um, yeah, I think that's really important as well. And I'm really glad that you've been able to kind of, you know, identify and point out some of these things because it, it's a lot you know a lot of these things that you you've discussed are, are things that teachers or maybe educators or language schools you know they, they don't really 
think about that much. They just think, we have this curriculum, let's teach it and everything else will be fine. Well, no, there's there's bigger pieces and there's different pieces of the puzzle that we need to think about as well. And, and, and this, all, this all buys into creating that positive atmosphere where students want to come to class, they enjoy coming to class, they have a good teacher who understands them, who can give them the right activities and the right materials and pitch, um, you know, pitch things to them in a way that they understand, um, bearing in mind, you know, kind of differentiation that's needed and the way to assess them and also to give them that support outside of the classroom. So I think I've really learned a lot um, from this discussion, Adam. So thank you for sharing your expert insights into these areas. Thanks. Thank you very much for having no me on the podcast. I appreciate it. How can um, how can our listeners um, connect with you or how can they find out more about Grapeseed or more about, about what you do? Okay. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, the sure. email that I use for our own company podcast is mailcarrier at grapeseed.com. That podcast mm-hmm. is uh, the official Grapeseed podcast, a very original Fantastic. name, uh, I know. Um, that <laughs> that email find. address, yeah, very easy to find. Uh, that email address, mailcarrier at grapeseed.com is probably the best way. Uh, if people are interested in Grapeseed at large, there are websites, a place to go, just Grapeseed.com. There are different country tabs and things to help provide information and resources according to your location. But yeah, uh, anybody who's listening, I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions, whether you agree with things I've said and or things that you don't agree with. Uh, please reach out and we can start a conversation. That sounds great. I'll definitely add um, those links to the description of the episode. So have a look um, underneath the episode. You'll be able to see those links and connect with Adam if you need to. But that was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. All right. So that was our very in-depth interview with Adam Mott from Grapeseed. And again, as he mentioned, you can find all about Grapeseed by looking at the description underneath. The link is going to be attached for you in there. All right, so before we wrap up another episode, don't forget to subscribe on uh, Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice. Don't forget as well to drop us a five-star review if you enjoy what you're listening to and you find it useful for you as a teacher. And as always, you can send us any questions you might have to esltalkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also just send us direct message on Instagram at esltalkpodcast. And you can find all our previous episodes, uh, information, and you can apply to be a guest on the website esl-talk.com. So, wow, that is it for another episode. We'll be back next week for another brand new episode. So we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.